Hi, I'm Kat Farrance, and I'm founder of Movement for Modern Life. Welcome to Yoga Off the Mat. This is the Movement for Modern Life podcast, and in this podcast, I invite you to join me on a journey to meet the champions of change. These are the most inspiring people I've ever met, and they're living a happy, healthy, sustainable life. Hi, this is Kat. I really hope you're doing very, very well. Well, today's conversation is with Adam Hoke, and he is one of our most popular teachers at Movement for Modern Life for vinyasa yoga, but also for really carefully crafted sequences. His sequences are just utterly beautiful. And so when I wanted to find out, as part of our Movement for Modern Life, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Life course, which is about Buddhism, all about what the relationship is between yoga and Buddhism, how they interrelate, and what on earth they have in common, and how is it that there are so many things that are so similar about these two philosophies? Well, there's no better person to ask than Adam. So I really do hope that you enjoy this chat, and if you want to uncover just a couple of the truths, the real truths about who we are on and off the yoga mat. There's no better person to join than Adam. So I really hope you take time to pause, sit back with a nice cuppa and enjoy this chat which went live on the movers group. So we've got a couple of questions on there and it was part of our ancient wisdom for modern life course which which is still running. So you can still go on to movement for modern life and click on the Ancient Wisdom for Modern Life Challenge. And there you will find classes that very cleverly weave in yoga with Buddhist principles, with the Buddhist philosophy. And you'll find that from Adam and Mimi. And the podcast next week is going to be with Mimi. But today, well, just sit back and enjoy this beautiful conversation with very, very wise Adam. Hello, hello, Kat. Hello, hello again. It's been a while. It has been a while. And how are you? I, I am very well, you know, like everyone, you know, in, in enjoying this sort of strange time and uh, trying to just, you know, day by day, day by day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it, is, it is a strange time and it continues to be a strange time. So yeah, life during these COVID times is is a challenge. It must be continuing as a yoga teacher. And I know that a lot of people here are teachers. So you've had to change life up a lot. Yeah. I mean, I'm not teaching in studios anymore. I teach, yeah. you know, I teach for Movement for Modern Life and I teach out of my living room <laughs> and I, you know, write yeah. blogs for you. And, and it's a whole, a whole new world. Mm. Um, or just an interesting world for the time being. Mm. Uh, but it's the world that got me thinking about the classes that I, you know, I last filmed and these, these six classes on the Paramitas, which we'll get to, it's, mm. it gave me time to reflect. So I'm, I'm, I am, I am thankful for that, that time. Like I have been able to read a lot. I've been able to think a lot, reflect. Sometimes that reflection is a bit too much, but it, it, it you know, leads to good self-inquiry and, you know, and like honest conversations uh, with myself. So it, it's, it's been good to have this time, but also, you know, it, it's, it's challenging. Same, you know, for everybody. Yeah. Interesting though. And I'm, I'm very grateful that you've had the time to have the in-depth thoughts on it. And I could really 
tell that from the blog, which I've been really, really enjoying reading your blogs on on Buddhism. And it's lovely, it's lovely to hear and see the sort of depth of thought that's going in, which I suppose if we we're all running around town, which we're not doing anymore. Yeah. yeah, it's good to have this just like forced pause and forced mm. stop, um, at least for the time being. It has had, I mean, of course, lots of terrible things, but it has had the benefit of giving reflective time mm. uh, and to take a step sort of out of momentum of what we've been doing uh, yeah. and, and see like, okay, is that, is that still the path or is there something I need need to shift or change? So there, there you know. There, there are positives to to everything, and and actually, like only in times of crisis and upheaval do we have spiritual growth. Nice, I like that, and this is a good time of crisis and upheaval for us all. Yes, <laughs> so, and it's a very good time to be reflecting on Buddhism. Yeah, be time. It's funny, well, because I, I feel a little bit, this is this is a vulnerable thing for me, because this is what has been underneath my practice in teaching, but like, I, like full disclosure, I am not a teacher of Buddhism. Right. I, I am a practitioner to an extent, although I'm not a Buddhist, mm-hmm. um, but this, this is what fuels my practice mm-hmm. uh, and, and has been the undercurrent in a lot of my classes for a long time, and for the most recent series of classes, which is in, in this this um, this course, it's it's like it's there, it's it's out front. So that that was a big step for me um, to put it out there, uh, yeah. but but put it out you know from my from my perspective. So it's not it's it's sort of like how how these teachings have inspired my practice. So I want I wanted to share that. Yeah, well that that's perfect, and that's as good as it gets. I mean, that's the whole point of being a yoga teacher is you're teaching your interpretation of the practice. So that's brilliant. Um, as you just sort of move through and start for us all to think about yoga and Buddhism, because I must say, I've always wondered, because lots of the aspects of Buddhism have very much appealed to me, and I have practiced and also yoga. And I was never able to kind of put my finger on how is it that these two are related. So sure. what, what is the relationship between yoga and Buddhism? Okay. <laughs> Thanks for the, the, yeah, this always I get the simple questions. Yeah, it's such a simple one. Okay. Well, I, I just want to, so I, you know, I've said I'm not a teacher of Buddhism, so this is all coming from, from my perspective and my, my limited knowledge, but I think we can, we can get a framework uh, and see how that is relevant and applicable to, to our yoga asana practice. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was I was reading today, and a quote that I think puts this all in perspective, or, or gives us a good perspective, is from the Rig Veda, which is an ancient ancient Sanskrit te- text mm-hmm. before any, anything resembling Buddhism and, and or yoga. Uh, so the the quote is that truth is one. Yeah. The wise the wise call it by different names. So truth is one. The wise call it by different names. So there are many paths. Okay. There many are, paths to the truth. Yes, there are many paths. There are many names of the truth. There are many ways to get there. Um, so for me, 
the path that's been from the Buddhist perspective. But I, I don't want to like present that and say that I think that's better than another perspective. Or, yeah. you know, so I want us to see like, especially if you you hold other truths that, you know, that are, are important mm-hmm. to you, that we see all this in perspective, that there are many paths to mm-hmm. truth and many paths to awakening. And ultimately, you just have to find the one where the language um, and the structure of it makes sense to you and you, you have a personal connection. So anyway, I just wanted, I wanted to lay that out there. Yeah, so. I like that. So there are many paths to truth. Yoga and Buddhism and probably any kind of religion. Yeah, you know, okay. and so if we're going to talk about yoga and Buddhism, we want to sort of like know like what, like what their relationship is, but also yeah. what they are independently. And I talked in, I think, the last um, one of these talks about what yoga is mm-hmm. and you know yoga it, it's a lot of things but let's just say it's mind body unification practices that exists across a lot of different spiritual and philosophical disciplines and a lot of different cultures so mind body unification practices so it might be meditation it might mm-hmm. be chanting it might be the practice of postures it might be service it's a lot it's a lot of things for a lot of different um, religions, spiritual traditions, and so on. So that you know, that is yoga, and that exists across a lot. Um, Buddhism is also similarly not one thing. Mm-hmm. You have to think that okay, this you know, we have twenty five hundred years of Buddhism, right? Across uh, South Asia, mm-hmm. so like Indian subcontinent. Uh, Southeast Asia, East Asia, and then most recently how it's been sort of reinterpreted as it moved from basically Tibet when, when with, through those political upheavals and occupation and all that yeah. to moving through the UK and the US with the teachers who were exiled from Tibet and how it was reinterpreted in, you know, in the 1960s, especially, yeah. um, so like Buddhism is a lot of things. Mm. And even within Buddhism, um, there, there are different like subsets of it. Um, yeah. which I, let's not get into all of that, but there's like Theravada and there's Mahayana, there's Vajrayana, which is sort of tantric. Um, mm-hmm. And within those, there are subdivisions. Um, yeah. and, and sort of you, we have all the things that you might think of like of meditation and you have chanting and you have ritual practices but you also have like metaphysics you have psych- buddhist psychology uh so there, there's a lot to dig into mm. okay. so there's a lot feeling feeling a little overwhelmed here yeah but so, the, the, you, you you then you find what practices work for you well, uh, and you know it, yeah so let's know that we won't get lost in the weeds uh but the question is like all right I'm a yoga practitioner. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, even on the, like the last course, I got introduced mm-hmm. to the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Mm-hmm. I maybe read um, the Bhagavad Gita a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, or you know, I've been reading Upanish- the Upanishads and other things that mention yoga in different contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so we have that perspective uh, mm-hmm. of what yoga is. It's related to those text some of which relate to hinduism some of it's a little bit different or um and what i want people to understand is there's actually a lot more 
and that mm-hmm. the history of yoga relates to a lot of other traditions and all these things were developing simultaneously in india right so we have things that predate hinduism and mm-hmm. buddhism right that influence the development of buddhism hinduism uh yoga uh and on and on and mm-hmm. there was a lot of cross pollination of ideas ah okay so, so that makes it, sense yeah so you like a lot of things that if you look at yogic texts mm. uh, they seem pretty like familiar if you're familiar with buddhist yeah. texts or if you read buddhist texts you think oh that that these lists of some of them are mm. sort of similar uh, and that yes they're actually pretty similar um and then you know the question might be okay well i do postures mm. uh, doesn't that relate to the hatha yoga tradition mm. which has nothing to do with buddhism and and that is also a, like you there's more to the story right and some of the you said we if we're looking at we can look at like 20th century hatha or sort of modern postural yoga mm. uh, or we can look at the hatha yoga that was developed um, much earlier all right, yeah. so we'll look at those separately. So let's say we were looking at the Hatha Yoga um, developed before the 20th century, which has its mm-hmm. own series of texts, um, yeah. which are not Buddhist, okay? Right. But you can also find Buddhist texts that some of which are earlier, which mm-hmm. are playing with the same ideas of energetic locks in the body, uh, of, of mm-hmm. making shapes, of directing energy through the body, simultaneous to other texts that we're more familiar with doing the same things all right so it's all happening simultaneously and there's a great tradition of tibetan yoga Mm. okay Mm. so it's all it's all there and then if we're looking at 20th century yoga so much of the yoga we're familiar with came out of um india at the beginning of the 20th century Mm -hmm. with the you know with the teachers of of Iyengar and Patabi Joyce and all the, all that sort of came before and overlaid on top of the Hatha yoga they were doing the practice of postures was the yoga sutras of Patanjali right so that was sort of if that was sort of a new hybrid mm-hmm. of a practice with a spiritual tradition or a, or a text a practice the practice of postures with a text right interesting and then so now we have, but also in the 20th century, we have teachers who have done the same thing with Buddhist philosophy mm. and, and the practice of yoga postures. So mm. all that has happened in the 20th century has happened 500, 600 years ago, a thousand years ago. It's like, you know, it's all happening. And I don't want to get into this game of like, who did what first? Right. Or what's the authentic um, the, the, like, to yeah, that's a really common question. People get down that rabbit hole a lot, don't they? Of yeah, the and, of yoga. and that's about fundamentalism and nationalism. Right. Okay, it's not about like trying to help people deal with their suffering. That's about, that's another weird thing that's for another mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just want people to understand that like it's 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 all a big stew and we're lucky to have these teachings and I don't really care who did what first. Mm. I just want to see like okay it it's it's legitimate to mm. to play around with buddhist ideas 
and yoga postures because that's been happening for a thousand years. Yes. As it has mixing up Patanjali with 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 yoga postures and using uh, the other, you know, the, all the great texts from other traditions that mm-hmm. come together and give give us all this we can play with to yeah. to understand our bodies, understand our heart, and and sort of deal with our suffering. And so that that to me is exciting. And and mm-hmm. like not everyone's going to resonate with Buddhist teachings. Not mm-hmm. everyone's going to resonate with Patanjali or the Bhagavad Gita. And you find your path to the truth. Oh, the truth. I like that. I mean, as a which aspects of Buddhism do you think that you're particularly drawn to? You know, it's one of those things. It, it's hard to pin down like mm-hmm. what 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 attracts you to a mm-hmm. uh, spiritual teaching but you know the the teachings of buddhism like have fascinated me since i was a teenager and i you know mm-hmm. i studied in uh at nyu and you know new york university and i took courses on eastern philosophy and it, it sort of even predated me being very serious about uh yoga practice mm-hmm. um but what I, what I think it was for me was and this may sound a little grim, but like the starting point was acknowledging suffering, saying mm-hmm. like that's real. Like yes, it's like <laughs> people are depressed. Yeah, and, and like that's all right. It's all yeah. right. Like we're a lot of people are unhappy. A lot mm-hmm. of people are suffering. Mm-hmm. It's all right. That's the truth. It's not like you don't have to put a smile on that and fake mm-hmm. it. Like that is the truth. So that like in one of the major teachings mm-hmm. of Buddhism, you know, the four noble truths. Mm-hmm first of which being like the truth of suffering. Yeah. Um, so that I, you know, that starting point was comforting to me to see like, okay, I don't, I don't have to fake it. Like we're not all pretending we're happy. It's like, we all acknowledge that we want to be happy, but there's a lot getting in the way. But what's really practical about Buddhism is that we acknowledge the truth of suffering but we also have the second noble truth is we say like suffering has its causes, mm-hmm. and 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 the the philosophy of Buddhism and, and the psychology and all the teachings get very sophisticated analysis of all the suffering, all the causes, all the things you can dig into uh, and 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 work with in mm-hmm. your practice, in your body, in your life, in your relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that appealed to me. It's like okay, well, I can I can I can work on this. Uh, and that leads to the you know the third noble truth is like there's a way out, there is an end to suffering. Mm-hmm. That, and I always think about this like whenever I'm I'm personally suffering with something, mm-hmm. and if, like, if suffering is like if that seems like 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 a big scary thing, you can just think like anxiety or a little mm-hmm. bit upset, or you get annoyed, mm-hmm. or it's just something mm-hmm. that causes you a bit of trouble and don't mm-hmm. want to do it. Like, that's all. That's all suffering it doesn't have to be like the biggest thing but yeah. to see that okay i i don't have to live with this yeah like there's there's a path out of this so the yeah. last the last you know the fourth noble truth is there's a path to end suffering there's something you can do yeah and it wasn't you know this the the teachings aren't like someone's going to come save you mm. which i know is a lot of other traditions and i you know mm-hmm. that my my perception of other traditions is that an outside force will mm-hmm. solve the problems it's yeah. down to you mm-hmm. and that appealed to me yeah but like i got to do the work 
okay, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. I'll do the work. But if I just have, I have a little bit of a plan, mm-hmm. uh, good attitude about it, mm-hmm. uh, I'll do the work. So that, you know, all of that teaching just really appealed to me. And that was sort of bubbling along as I was starting my practice of, of yoga postures and, and studying. And, you know, I found Meditation Center in New York, which really mm-hmm. appealed to me. And then sort of around the same time, I started studying um, uh, at Om Yoga in New York City, which was at that time led by Cindy Lee, who was yeah. teaching Buddhist thought yeah. as relevant to yoga asana. Uh, so that's really just been the way I I have learned yoga long before. I mean, it took me years before I touched the Yoga Sutras. I mean, I I was studying uh, Buddhist thought and books and practice, mm-hmm. you know, long before. Not until I did a yoga teacher training did I did I did read anything else. Wow! Well, you're lucky. That was a great introduction to yoga for you. Yeah, I mean, definitely. That's amazing because I know for me. I was first interested in Buddhism and I was also interested in yoga, but I didn't have the correlation for ages. So, yeah, I think that's really cool that your teacher, well, I mean, Cindy Lee as a teacher is a pretty marvelous way to start. (laughs) Yeah. So good. And that that makes me think of like another thing that, uh, appealed to me about mm-hmm. you know, the, you know, the teachings um, or the let's say the Dharma because that's that's what it is. It's the path. It's the truth. Yeah. It's, it's um, is that I if I if I go into the text and believe in it and and work with it, yeah. I believe that my fundamental nature is good. Yeah. That I yeah. have Buddha nature. That I everything is fantastic and beautiful and blissful, yeah. and joyful underneath. And what causes suffering is everything overlaid on top of it. Yes. That, yes. that it's sort of the, the image usually um, presented is like the sun is always there, mm-hmm. but maybe there are clouds in the sky. Mm-hmm. But there's always, you know, there's always a beautiful sky. It's there. It might mm-hmm. just be covered up. And similarly, we always have Buddha nature. We're always fundamentally good, but there may be things temporarily getting in the way. Yeah. So I like that the starting point you know, I, starting point was like acknowledging suffering, but also saying yeah. that, but we're fundamentally, we have Buddha nature. Yeah. And yeah. we're not sinful. We're not starting with sin. We're mm-hmm. not starting with, with wrong. Cause I grew up in, you know, at least I'll say my perception of how I grew up in, mm-hmm. uh, in church and spiritual tradition was mm-hmm. who I was, mm-hmm. was a sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was, I'll say that's my perception because that it gets far more complicated than that. But that was my perception, my takeaway from what was taught to me in the church was what I was, was a sin. Mm-hmm. So to start in a different way and say what I was, was perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, have, having Buddha nature. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe there are other things on top of that that's causing me suffering, but I can work on it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that little shift was, was important for me, is important for me. It's it's big, and I absolutely agree because you know I've always been somebody who's been interested in some kind of development. And yes, that, Emma says yes. That was her takeaway as well. So that's resonating, um, and it, and it is for me because I had always sort of seen the kind of self improvement stuff. But the nice thing, the wonderful thing about Buddhism is that is no self improvement project. It's sort of the opposite. It's revelation, self-revelation. Yeah, it's self-revelation. I like that. I like that. And it's interesting because 
For example, when we're looking at your latest series of classes, there are a whole series of qualities which we are to cultivate because they are they're good qualities in in a person. But it's also interesting that beneath them all isn't that um, we're going to now be a better person and cultivate these qualities. So can you talk about what the uh, what inspired you? What what was it that you were thinking when you came up with the latest series Uncovering yeah. Good and Nature? So um, just to give you the like the behind the scenes info, yeah. we, filmed, we filmed these in in I guess it was June, mm-hmm. um, and I hadn't been out of my house or like my neighborhood really for about three months. Mm-hmm. I hadn't gone anything but gone to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was the state I was in, which was you know feeling a little vulnerable and confused about career and life. And mm-hmm. in this time, in I as I said before, it was a time to be reflective. Mm-hmm. So I went back and I said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to look back at some of the, the, the texts and, and revisit some things and, and explore new ideas in, in um, Buddhist philosophy, which I try to do yearly anyway. Um, yeah. but, but I went back, I decided to look back at uh, the Paramitas yeah. and the books I had on the subject and sort of the, you know, the lectures I had attended and, and notes and sort of go through all this. Uh, yeah. And I found it particularly helpful for me uh, during this time period. Oh. And yeah. it started influencing classes I was teaching weekly. And so I decided to develop that content uh, for the filming. Uh, and just to give you a perspective of, of, of what the paramitas are, we have to, like, if you're familiar with a lot of the Indian spiritual traditions, you will know they are filled with lists, mm. endless lists upon lists upon lists with with little subdivided lists and groupings inside because <laughs> okay. it's you know it is an oral tradition so mm-hmm. lists helped um it right. get taught and spread. remember so lists upon lists so one of the lists is the paramitas there are other mm-hmm. lists like uh you know the four noble truths i said like the three jewels which is the buddha the dharma the sangha which is like the buddha the Dharma, which is the teaching, the Sangha, which is the community. There's the the uh, uh, the Mimi's course, so it's on the Brahma Vihara. So it's the, the four of those, which she can tell you about, I guess, next week. Uh, and there are other like tons of other lists, tons of other lists. Uh, but one of the lists uh, is the Paramitas, mm-hmm. uh, and this comes from the Mahayana tradition of Buddhism, which you can look up if you're interested. Um, but it's a list of six things. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes it's four things. Sometimes it's oh, ten wow. things. Sometimes it's fifty-two things. Sometimes the six things have lists of upon lists. So it's a lot. So it's a lot to play with, which is fun. So you can you can really dig in and lots of yeah. different translations. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent, but oh, just, what you talking about? <laughs> so um, the paramitas are it's essentially bodhisattva training and a bodhisattva is a, uh, a sentient being who is awakened or is on the path of awakening or wants to be awakened, but mm-hmm. is doing it not just for themselves, mm-hmm. it's doing it for everybody else, for society, for, for a more enlightened society, sometimes mm-hmm. even deferring their own enlightenment, their own, you know, ascension to nirvana uh to help other people so it's a path that really appeals to me because it's not just about my own individual liberation yeah it's about taking everybody else along for the ride yeah uh, which i think is particularly important but Mm -hmm. i also think that 
making the connections with other people mm-hmm. uh, help me. Yeah. So it, it's like it, it goes back and forth. So the paramitas are um, bodhisattva training. Mm-hmm. There are six qualities. There's six, sometimes called six perfections. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of like things to work on. It, it's sort of the training that you would do if you want to be an awakened being for mm-hmm. yourself and for other people. Now let's so, roll, roll back. An awakened being. What, what do you mean by that, Adam? Oh, God, if I knew, then I, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, so let's just say free of, of suffering. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Uh, free of attachment. Mm. Free of of what what makes life difficult. Mm. Wow. Uh, so you know, and that if you're free of those things, and you get to live in sort of the joy mm-hmm. and bliss of the world. Um, right. So an awakened being is you know, it, it may take us a long time to get there. Yeah, uh, you know, and in these teachings, if you, it depends on how traditional you get about it, it takes maybe it takes lifetimes upon lifetimes. Uh, but we're you know we're seeking a taste of it. Nice. So the the six paramitas are uh, generosity. Yep. Discipline. Mm-hmm. Patience. Uh, enthusiasm or exertion. Mm-hmm. Um, meditation. Uh, and prajna, which is a form of wisdom, which is sort of like a higher form of wisdom. Mm-hmm. All right. So generosity, discipline, patience, mm-hmm. enthusiasm, meditation, prajna. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way I was learned, uh, I learned to remember them. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is the funny way to remember them. Yeah. Um, gosh darn it, please eat my pizza. <laughs> Said nobody ever. <laughs> yeah. Gosh darn it, please eat my pizza. But I, I actually, a, a very generous person might say that. Gosh darn it, please eat my pizza. I like that. <laughs> All right, so that, that's the silly way you can remember what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just, there's just so much within them to work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I work my whole life on one of them. Yeah. Uh, but the six have given me so much to think about in my life, in my body, in my practice, in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to share. Yeah, absolutely. And which ones are you currently working with? Or is that too personal? Oh, no, no, it's fine. I've been working a lot with um, enthusiasm. Oh, that's a good one. Now, you come across as a very, very enthusiastic person. <laughs> well, the, the enthusiasm really matters. It's, you know, it's about enthusiasm for your practice. Mm-hmm. It's about the ability to keep up with your practice and do right. the work no matter what. If it's now dark outside, mm-hmm. when you wake up, do you still do your practice? Or do you say, I just would rather have my bowl of granola Mm. and watch television because i'm tired <laughs> uh, and not to speak from you know personal experience um it's it's like what what do you use what fuel like where's the you know the the petrol tank that's going to get mm-hmm. you or like the electric car plug-in that's mm. going to get you pumped up to do the work of your practice which you mm-hmm. know gives you benefit but it takes a lot of work to, yeah. to deal with every little bit of suffering and attachment and negative mm. thought and, 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 you know, whatever you do that causes mm. you grief to, to work on that day after 
day. It's a lot of work. So the point is like, well, how do I get the, get the energy? Yeah, right. Uh, so that was what that, well, that's what I'm working on. Yeah. I like, think of like, oh, what, what in the morning now, especially mm. that it's darker out, like what will mm. get me going? Mm. That's, that is a thought. That's interesting. I love that because also it relates to discipline and discipline is also, I always think of tapas as well, because, you know, a practice is a practice is something that we have to do every day or, you know, we have to be regularly. Otherwise it's not a practice and these things are hard work, but it's interesting to me particularly that it is the enthusiasm that is firing your daily cold morning, dark morning practice rather than discipline that seems a lot more positive and a lot more sort of doable yeah and what so i'll say two things to that is that all the paramitas they they like they work together right so there's a lot of overlap so of course mm-hmm. there will be discipline involved with me trying to do my practice in the morning but mm-hmm. to like still to keep up with that discipline you will yeah. have to <laughs> enthusiasm. So they work together. And the, also the important thing uh, is that, that five of them are like things you do. Yeah. So generosity, discipline, patience, exertion, mm-hmm. meditation, like there are things that you do or qualities that you try to cultivate. Yeah. The prajna, the wisdom is the mindset of mm-hmm. all of them that all of this you do to decrease your suffering and decrease decrease the suffering of others. So mm-hmm. do I go back to this example of discipline, do my practice every day? Mm-hmm. I could be doing my practice to, every day because I think I have to have the discipline. I'm going to do it no matter what. And I'm just going to mm-hmm. tell everyone about it. If other people aren't doing it, they're weak and lazy. <laughs> if I'm not doing it, I'm weak and lazy. Right. Uh, and if I can't do it, then I'm going to be really annoyed. Yeah. And it could be this thing that trying to have the discipline causes you suffering and causes you stress and causes uh, good point. Good point. And that's the sort of self-improvement mindset as well with discipline. So then the paramita, a paramita of discipline or a paramita of enthusiasm will be doing this to decrease suffering and keeping an eye out mm-hmm. for the, when it can creep into this thing that you get attached to or to say that you're better than someone else or mm-hmm. whatever it is because that gets in there so one of my teachers refers to the prajna paramita so this sort of wisdom as a bs mm-hmm. detector <laughs> so it, it, sort of, it sort of it 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 busts you mm-hmm. so it's that that fundamental attitude is important and also mm-hmm. like you, you brought up tapas um mm-hmm. and that's where i we like i've find my perspective and the way I practice on it, it might be slightly different than someone else. Because mm-hmm. you, this is again, just my perception of the, you know, their subtleties to all of this. Yeah. But you might have the perspective that I do my yoga practice as a form of tapas to generate mm-hmm. and like burn off bad things. And it's yeah. like this sort of thing you like have to do. And it's just like this fiery thing. Yeah. Uh, and to me, I find that that is a little extreme. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's that. So I want to find the middle ground where I see, I, I, I can do things. This is to, to really push myself, but do I have to go that far? What is that about? Am mm-hmm. I just doing that because I have this sort of negative image of myself and I need to like self-improve? Um, do I need right. to fix what I think is bad karma or whatever it is? Or am I, am I finding this middle ground? Um, mm-hmm. 
But that, again, is my perspective. Well, I like that. And I like the fact of harnessing the same, I suppose I'll put it in quotes, results, but through the raw enthusiasm, or I like this comment, where do you find the energy? It's like, yeah, it's an energy for it. It is that. It is a feeling, I suppose, of vibrance and you and garnering it in an intentional way, not being just like, I don't have the energy. Because I think in our society, a lot of us are like, no, I'm not a very energetic person. And, they, and then, you know, you go back onto the sofa. But, so, yeah. like, so let's take this energy question back. I think it's really good. Um, yeah. And put it in the perspective of uh, the prajna paramita. So mm-hmm. it's wisdom paramita. And I was trying to think of like how you can get it. I know this sounds like a little highfalutin to say like transcendent wisdom or mm-hmm. uh, I've heard wisdom beyond wisdom. Yeah. Uh, and the fact is a little highfalutin that we're, we're not really translating it. We're just calling it prajna. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was thinking like saying prajna is wisdom is like thinking, like referring to Mozart as a guy who wrote some songs on the piano. Mm, okay. Okay. That, that that doesn't quite get it mm. okay so there's there's a lot more anyway that's that's a tangent so you can you can think about that mm. so if we want the energy yeah if we if we want to do the things that are good for us i think we fundamentally have to believe that we're worth it yeah that we start from a place of i am good yeah i am worth it i should not suffer other beings should not suffer. Mm. And if we start from that positive place, yeah. I think it's it's more likely we can summon the daily energy to do the practice rather than starting from a point of I am flawed. My body is deficient, my mind is deficient. Mm. Whatever or I I am, you know, I am a, a sin, I am this, I am that, I yeah. am I'm ashamed, I am guilty. This it's like, no, I am good. Mm-hmm. Maybe I've made some bad choices. Maybe I've done some things. Maybe I need to work on my temper. Maybe I need to work on this, but I am good. And when we start from that, which is how I started the the class on wisdom, the class yeah. on the Prashna Paramita, is that I am good. I am yeah. good. I should not suffer. Other beings should not suffer. I believe that. I'm going to connect to my humanness. I'm going to connect to my vulnerability. I'm going to connect to the thing that connects me to all other people. Mm. And I believe that and I start from that. Yeah, yeah. That's a really beautiful and interesting way. And of course, that also is difficult because in our society, we're sort of brought up to feel that we're not enough a lot of the time, that we need to achieve things and do things in order to be okay. And so to come at this from a place of saying, okay, the baseline is I'm okay and I shouldn't suffer. Well, that's the opposite of what how a lot of us are brought up with life, which is like, you know what, you're not okay. You need to work on yourself. You need to do X, Y, Z, jump through all the hoops. And then by the time you die, possibly you're going to be okay. Because it's such a different way of looking at things, this, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it changes everything changes everything but that's not to say like there isn't like work to do to be a a a a citizen of an enlightened society and to be kinder to other people uh but that's why you know within within the paramitas we also have things like being generous Mm. being patient Mm -hmm. um 
And so that, that, that directs it a lot out to other people because it's hard to just work on generosity and, and not, not, you know, avoid interacting with other people and how you treat other people. And the same for patience, like mm-hmm. patience is actually working with your anger and reactivity. Generosity is, is working on your a tendency to like cling to things and not want to let go and not want to share and, and you know, trying to make everything for yourself, yeah. uh, that selfishness. So if you work with those things, then, you know, we are working on what particular, what might, you know, pop up in other self-improvement things, but we're working on it from a different, uh, sort of more self-charged way. And do you think that, um, again, I don't want to compare, but I'm going to compare. Do you think it's, um, Buddhism is more about the community and the group, because there's a few things that you've said, which is about the general super other people and for doing things for others and the community aspects of it is it more of a sort of other people focus and yoga focuses more on the self or is that just not right um it's hard to say because buddhism isn't one thing right and there are definitely paths of buddhism where it's all about individual liberation which you know you have to do some of before you can start thinking about other people sure like you have to do your own self-work so it's important to do things that are a little bit more like looking inward and not looking outward right. uh, but there are definite teachers and mm. traditions within buddhism that are focused on as i said this this path of of uh, awakening and enlightened society mm. um and there are definitely definitely teachers such as Thich Nhat Hanh, who mm. was a, a huge force. I mean, he's um, still is, but was a huge force in in, in um, protesting the Vietnam War. Yes, and and meeting with Martin Luther King, and and like doing incredible engaged yeah. work. And you can read his books about mm. about his activism, and it, and it'll really break your heart open in the most beautiful way to to. Um, to hear from him. Um, so like everything, some, some of it's very much directed inward. Some of it's directed outward. So we can't mm-hmm. just say it, it's, it's one thing, but that those are the teachings that most appeal to me that take yeah. this path of individual liberation and then keep it going. Keep it going. Right. Yeah, keep it on the road. <laughs> so actually the Mahayana, um, one of the translation is, is it's like the great vehicle. Mm. So you know, we are we are on that road. We're taking it on the road. This is yeah. great, and and I love it. This is touching people, um, Dada. Yes, it flips everything, and that's true. It's like this whole different way of seeing things to the way we've been taught to, um, and yeah, it's key. As he said, it's key to my journey as a parent. Yes, oh, wow. Thank you. I think this is kind of our journeys for being. It's sort of, it's almost being a parent to ourselves. It's being that person who can be calming, soothing to ourselves as well as to others, maybe. It's like we can always be a parent. Often I do, um, I think I've taught it in some of uh, the classes on on the Mm -hmm. side, is I do a a compassion meditation, a Tonglen practice. And often, um, so it's a practice where you take in the suffering of another person and then offer back kindness and compassion. So it's sort of the reverse of what you might normally do. Yeah. Um, so you, you really take it in. Uh, and often I will do that practice for myself as a child. 
And I, I recommend that to everyone. If you, you know, I, th- I may have even taught it on this before, but you just see yourself. You see yourself in front of you at a vulnerable time, a vulnerable age, a mm-hmm. moment where you were suffering as a child that at that point in time, you didn't, you didn't, you couldn't frame it. You couldn't understand it. Uh, and you know, maybe now you do, and you, you can, you can, you can parent that child version of yourself, you can, you can offer compassion and that, that can be profoundly healing. Yeah. I've done that meditation and it's so, it is so, it never fails to move me. It's really a beautiful and heart opening thing. Yeah. Um, so now we're on the topic of meditation, Adam, sure. I'd like to sort of stick there because obviously that is also one of the parameters and, you know, it's interesting to think about, because I know in the blog you were talking about yoga as a moving meditation, but not. Yeah, because I think we can, we can easily just throw that phrase out there. Yes. That say that, okay, just because I'm doing something slow, I'm doing something like, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying it, that I'm calling it a moving meditation. Yeah. Uh, and I don't really think that is it i think that you know that can be profoundly relaxing to mm-hmm. move slow mm-hmm. and and to do that um especially if you're all the other times you're doing really quick vinyasa or other things it can be nice to take a step back and do it slow mm-hmm. but when i was creating the class on meditation yeah um i really wanted to help people find a sense of inner solitude and solitude on the mat solitude in the best way because even when we're doing all of this work um, of being generous, of being patient, of turning outward, we still have to be able to take that time for ourselves to find pause, to find clarity. Uh, and it's, it's so fundamental to all the Buddhist practice, all the teachings of yoga and everything else is meditation. Mm. And I was thinking, all right, well, how do I actually do moving meditation when I practice? What do I need to do? Um, and what is meditation, actually? Meditation you know, can be many things, and many different techniques, but meditation is essentially, uh, it's taught in sort of two stages, mm-hmm. which is um, shamatha, which is sometimes I like call calm, abiding, um, but you could think of like very simplistically of thinking, I'm just learning to concentrate yes. on something. Yeah. It might be breath, it might be uh, on a gong, it might be on a mantra, it might be on something, but I'm learning to concentrate mm-hmm. first stage and then the second stage is Vipassana, which is insight. So after I learn to concentrate, then I start having insights into the nature of reality and self and so on. So that's sort of the traditional path of meditation. Yeah. But me thinking, all right, well, we're doing asana, mm-hmm. we're doing postures, we're doing sun salutations, how can I find that that concentration, that insight, um, while doing like downward facing dog? You know, um, so I, I wanted to work with um, focal points. So that was my process. I thought, all right, well, we need. We're not just going to move slow. We're going to have focal points, mm-hmm. and firstly, they will be external. Mm-hmm external from ourselves. So I will be doing down dog or sun salute or whatever shape. I will be looking at one fixed point. Yeah. It might be a dot on my floor. 
It might be a beautiful floral arrangement. It might be the photo or the painting in front of me. Well, I'm going to look at that thing every time I'm here, just as a practice of concentration, yeah. of, of helping me tame my mind. Because that's another way to look at meditation, that it's like mind training, mind taming, yeah. the restless mind. So I'm going to learn to concentrate. But I also didn't want to do something that was just so mental. Yes. Because yoga postures, is an embodied practice. So I also wanted to have an internal focal point. Yeah. So for the class that I recorded, the external focal point was, as I said, we're looking at one point. The internal focal point was mostly sort of deep core and breath. Yeah. So as I do all of these things, I'm going to pay attention to something internal, something external, sometimes separately, sometimes at the same time. Yeah. Uh, that process of learning to be in the world and in my body at the same time is what, you know, what we're going to uh, negotiate on the mat, but also everywhere else. Uh, yeah. So that to me is what made moving a meditation uh, out of something moving is that I got I to gotta pay attention. Mm. I, I'm not just like freestyling it. Mm. I am taming my mind to pay attention to something internal and external as I go. And you can really do that with any focal point, but that's, those are the ones that I chose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, and, and that's, it, it is so useful uh, because I think of it sort of, again, in the sort of two ways that the mindfulness is the focus, the sort of more secular, right, I'm just going to tame my mind. And then the next step is, okay, now what am I going to do with that tame mind? Can I be a little bit more compassionate? Yeah, you get insight. And you also have to remember, like, mindfulness training, um, you are being trained to be mindful of something. <laughs> He's usually taught to be mindful of the breath. Mm. Uh, sometimes it's mindful of thought or emotion mm. or mindful of body. But yeah. you're, you're not just, it's not just, I'm mindful. No, you're, yeah. you're, the training, something is chosen to be mindful of yeah. as part of the meditation. I just wanted to bring that to, to um, the practice of postures. Not that I'm like yeah. the only person who's done this, but I, I wanted to, for this course, to, to offer that. Well, it's been really useful. I found it really useful. And Jada says as well, um, she loved the practice. The idea of a focal point helps maintain the sense of how to maintain focus inwards, no matter what's happening in the mind. And it's very moving. It ended up with joyful tears, Great. which is so beautiful. And, um, yeah, thank you for sharing that, because I think it is something that's really quite special and heart-opening when we're really present to our practice. And, yes, and um, the Tonglin practice, yeah, did the Tonglin practice and was very profound, seeing myself suffering and being a source of compassion. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because it is that being two, two people, seeing two things, having sort of the, being the watching mind as be, well as being the participant. And that's something I've never quite sort of understand about meditation because you're sort of there watching yourself and you're thinking, well, who's that one then? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, who is the watcher? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's something that's um, I, it, it's always confused me so much. Um, so yes, I like the calling. Thank you. It resonates with me. Parenting myself as a child, yeah, it really helped me so much. So I think these are practices which are which are very real. Like there's a lot of people. Um, 
I mean, all of us, as you say, are going through a sort of, all of us who aren't the enlightened ones are going through a constant state of suffering in some form or another, whether or not it's an anxiety over something very silly or over something that's really big, you know, parent dying. Um, there's a lot of people right now who are worried about jobs, who are worried about financial situation, who are worried about health of ourselves, of our relatives. You know, there's so much which is worrying in the world. And I think it's just really beautiful that we can have some practices to keep us, um, to try to steady that storm of anxiety, which um, I know has flooded so many of us. And there was somebody on the Movers group as well who said that one of your practices just, you know, she's been suffering with anxiety for years and it's really grounded her. And having that feeling of, I can focus, I can move just right now. Yeah, I mean, just day by day. And, you know, as, as I said before, like, when things are great, we're not going to do spiritual work. Yeah. We're, we're not going to find, you know, like deepen our experience of life because we're not being challenged. But when things are a little bit crummy or, you know, whatever this is, this mm -hmm. is our opportunity to dig a little bit deeper. Uh, and as I said before, I, there's so much, we people suffer, mm. big and small. Grief or, you know, stubbing your toe and whatever it is um that that is part of life but mm. there's a way out yeah that's i mean that that leap can be really hard to take when you're in it to see that i i am suffering whatever it is i'm suffering with mm -hmm. but to to say to yourself this doesn't have to be this doesn't have to be like it's the pain or the grief like we can't avoid that. We can't avoid the hot and cold of life, yeah. but we can work with how we experience it and perceive it and, and suffer or not from it. And I think we, we, we can find a way out if we believe that we deserve it. And that can be a hard step to take, but that's, that's why, you know, in the first class, I want everyone just, just to feel just the tenderness of their heart. Yes. You know, the, I put that in because um, you know, a couple of years ago, I had to have a medical test where they imaged my heart. And mm -hmm. I was sitting there and something like totally ordinary for the tech person there and the, and the nurse to see my heart thumpa thumpa. I just looked at it and thought, wow, that is, that is me. That is my life. But it's actually what, what, what everybody has, the sort of tenderness and vulnerability. Like we all we all have this um, and, and we all can find a way out. And often it helps if we try to do it, do it together. Absolutely. I think it's really beautiful being joined in a community of people who are going through whatever we're going through. And we are looking at transcending it and how we can uncover what, what the deep layers of truth might be and emma i'm glad that this is helpful finding a practice on another level to the sadness that transcends it all and gives perspective i suppose that's what it is it's a perspective finding which gives us the freedom you've summed it up there <laughs> yeah I, adam i'm just so grateful to you for the thought 
the mindfulness, the intentions, the sharing and the giving that you're giving to me, and I'm very grateful to be in this position, to be able to have these practices and be able to talk with you. It's just amazing. And being able to join with other like-minded souls who are on this path, and we know that their the suffering is optional. <laughs> it is. And you know, it's, it's my joy and my pleasure to share these. Um, but do know that it, this is coming from my practice because I'm living it too. Um, that I'm not a perfect person by any means. I'm still working on all of these. And, and that, so we just keep that attitude that we're going to do, we're going to do our best to work on these. So that's what the discipline practice is all about is that, you know, we just take the middle road. We do what we can do on a daily basis. We find whatever enthusiasm we can. We try to keep the, the reminder that, okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm a good person. I deserve this. And that's going to be like help fuel us. And we just like, we do the work. We do the work. We do the work day by day. And it's an ongoing practice. Um, but, you know, I believe in it. And I hope you, you know, you find your path as well. Well, thank you. I really, really appreciate your time and everything you've given to me and to the community. And thank you guys very, very much for joining, for sharing for being so vulnerable and open and honest it's really been it's been inspiring being with you guys as well and if you have any other questions just continue commenting and we'll be taking a peek so thank you you. thank you you, Kat all right with much love to you all take care Adam (laughs) I really do hope you enjoy that If, like me, you were always wondering what yoga and Buddhism had in common and why on earth they're so similar, but they seem to be so different, well, I really hope that um, this answered a few of your questions. And if not, well, go on to the Ancient Wisdom for Modern Life course with Movement for Modern Life. Just sign up movementformodernlife.com for your free 14-day trial, and hopefully you will then be able to find out um, the practices in that course really are very, very beautiful, though. It, um, it's wonderful how yoga practices can so beautifully weave in an element of philosophy. So I hope you enjoy those. And next time we are talking to Mimi Kuodima, and she is also a teacher on Movement for Modern Life and is on our Ancient Wisdom course. And again, her wisdom, her practices, her breadth of knowledge, her compassion. Oh, she's just the most wonderful human being. So do subscribe in order to not miss an episode. So you subscribe on the usual places and go to movementformodernlife.com to get some of these beautiful teachings from these world-class teachers. All right, take care and see you soon.